Hey, Hume, how you doing? Yes, sir. An earpiece by my shoes. Thank you so much. That would have been deadly if I tripped over it. Did you guys have a good day? I had a really good day. I am thrilled to be here and cannot wait to share this message with you from God's word. Uh, I had the honor of uh, planting a church a year and a half ago in central Phoenix. And one of my dearest friends, whose name is Kyle Walker, uh, we had been going to church together for a long time and serving in student ministry. He is a worship leader. And he brought uh, his family sold his home in the city that we were living in and moved 45 minutes away with me to plant this new church. Myself as the lead pastor, him as the worship leader, and we've had this incredibly fruitful partnership and I love him and his family so much. His wife, her name is Kristen, and as of, uh, as of late, they just had their third child, and she started to experience some really strange symptoms in her body. She started to have like a little bit of trouble with her vision and to experience some numbness in some of her limbs and a little bit of problem with motor control. And obviously that's very, very concerning. And so they went to the doctor and the doctor that they saw said that they wanted to order some tests to try to, to see if she had early signs of a disease that's called multiple sclerosis, MS. And that's a very scary thing to hear the doctor say. Kristen's like in her young 30s. She has three beautiful young children. She's an active, vibrant mom. And MS is a disease that cripples your body. It actually is when your immune system begins to attack the protective coating around your nerves and your body breaks down and down and down until you die an early death. And so when we heard that they wanted to test for this, we were afraid. We were super worried and we cried some tears and we prayed a lot and we were just trusting God as they approached the day of these tests. And so they went in and they ran some tests, they did some scans and they had to wait until the next day when the, they could go back to the doctor and the doctor could interpret the test for them and kind of tell them what was going on. And so I waited with bated breath as uh, they went to the doctor's office and then shortly after they got into the doctor's office, I got a phone call from Kyle and he said, there are no signs of MS whatsoever. Amen. And so like on the phone with Kyle, I did what you just did. I cheered and we cried and we just said thank you to God because it was such good news. And when you have heard something scary, when you've received bad news, isn't good news such a relief? Doesn't good news feel so good? And tonight, I bring you good news from God's word. <laughs> this morning, we talked about the bad news of sin. And sin is bad news. I know this morning's message was heavy, but I'm telling you that there is nothing I could possibly do with my words to over-communicate the severity and the weight of sin. So whatever weight you felt this morning as we talked about the reality of sin as rebellion against God that affects every single person and requires death, requires the just judgment of a holy God, whatever weight you felt underneath that message, it was not enough 
Sin is the worst news you could possibly receive, and yet what I have to bring to you tonight is the best news in all the universe. It is the good news that we call the gospel. That's actually just a Greek word for good news. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible calls it. That's what Christian history has called it. And that's what we still call it today. It is good news. And to us tonight, I am hoping and praying that it will be a relief, that it will bring joy and blessing as we see all that God intends to do for us and all that he has given to us in his son, Jesus. We're gonna talk about this great idea as we continue our theme about the truth this week. The gospel is the truth of what Jesus has done for me. We're gonna talk about the truth tonight, but the truth that we're talking about is the good news of what Jesus has done for me. Now the gospel, it can be summed up in four words. Four words. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. And our video did such a good job of showing us that with such stunning visual clarity. Jesus in my place. And my hope and my prayer for you tonight is that you will see that the good news of the gospel is not good news for someone far away a long time ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for you right here, right now. And if I had the opportunity to have an individual conversation with each of you, if I could look you in your eyes and I could sit down across a table from you, I would tell you this, the gospel is good news for you. And so if you would, for the next 20 minutes, just lean in with me and I wanna tell you just how good the good news is. And when we're done, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to the good news. Here, we'll do it like this. Jesus in my place. Here's the question. What did Jesus do for me? All of these years later and all of these miles away, right? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and he lived all the way across the globe. What does he have to do for me? And I wanna show you three things that Jesus did for me. Jesus in my place, here's the first one. He was condemned so I could be released. He was condemned so I could be released. You saw in the video that what happened was Jesus had claimed to be no less than God himself. And the religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus, they did not like that. And so they charged him with a crime that carried a punishment of death. And that crime was blasphemy, dishonoring God. And they charged him and they brought him before the court so that they could try to execute him. Now, the Jews at the time, the council of the Jews, the religious leaders, they were not allowed to execute criminals on their own because they were living under Roman rule. And they had to get Roman approval to carry out an execution. And so they send Jesus to a Roman official named Pilate and he stands before him in a sort of trial. And in John 18, it'll be on the screen, it says in verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus had been having this, con this conversation with Pilate about his kingdom and how he came into the world, but his kingdom was not of this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
We've been talking about this all week long. The reason Jesus came was to display the truth of God. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So helpful for us to know this week that if we are people of the truth, we will listen to what Jesus says and we will believe him. Pilate responds with cynicism, with a hard heart, and he says, what is truth? What is truth? He asks Jesus this very profound question, and the great irony that we see here is that Jesus has already declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. And here, Pilate, standing in front of the one who is the truth, asks him this amazing question, what is truth? But he doesn't stick around long enough to get an answer. I have to wonder what would have been said. What would Jesus have said if Pilate stuck around for an answer? But we don't get that recorded because the text says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, listen to this, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's Jesus. Verse 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now think about this. Even though the Jewish people and the religious leaders could bring no credible charge against Jesus. And even though Pilate, he actually says right here, I find no guilt in him. The religious leaders and Pilate together decide that this man in whom they can find no guilt, this man who is innocent will be condemned to die. And the way the crowd decides it is they respond to Pilate's invitation. Pilate says, hey, I know you have a custom where I release a prisoner to you, and the two options are Barabbas and Jesus. And Barabbas was a robber. The other gospels tell us he was an insurrectionist. He was an evil, wicked man, most likely a murderer, which is why he was in chains. And he says, which one do you want me to give to you? And they cried out for Barabbas. And so Pilate keeps the innocent Jesus in chains and sends him off to be whipped and flogged and then killed while he releases the guilty Barabbas. Barabbas goes free and Jesus goes to the cross. A few years ago, there was a show on Netflix that was very, very famous. It made a huge splash. It's called, it was called Making a Murderer. And it was about a man named Stephen Avery And the beginning of the show tells you the story of how Stephen Avery spent 18 years in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. It's called wrongful conviction, and it actually happens all of the time. And this guy, on new evidence, almost two decades after he had been in prison, was released and exonerated because he was found to have not committed the crime that he was accused of. Jesus receives from Pilate 
a sentence for a crime he did not commit. He is sentenced to die despite the fact that Pilate says he is spotless. He is innocent. I find no guilt in him. Now there's a huge difference between Stephen Avery and Jesus Christ and the difference is that Jesus Christ was not a helpless victim of injustice. Jesus was condemned in your place and in my place not as a helpless victim but as a willing savior. Jesus was condemned on purpose. Jesus didn't stumble into this courtroom where he was sentenced to die. He walked there deliberately on purpose so that he could receive the sentence that you and I deserve. And so maybe even this week, as we've talked about truth and we've talked about sin, you have felt the weight of condemnation. Maybe you've even felt the burden of shame as we've talked about brokenness and sin, and you have felt the heaviness of what you have done, the good news for you tonight is that Jesus was condemned so you could be released. All of the condemnation that is due to you and me for for our sin, Jesus took for us. Jesus was treated like Barabbas deserved, so you could be treated like Jesus deserved. Jesus did not deserve condemnation, Barabbas did, and yet Jesus was treated like Barabbas deserved to be treated so that you and I could be treated as innocent, so that we could be released. And this is good news for us because when you and I stand before a holy God and we bring our own record of sin We do not have to receive the condemnation that we deserve because Jesus, who was innocent, took it in our place. He was condemned so that we could be released in the courtroom of God. Now the major question that remains for us is how in the world can God do that? How can God accept us as his people and make us clean and yet His son receives our condemnation. How is that possible? And it's because of this, the second thing that Jesus did for you. First, he was condemned so I could be released. And second, he was killed so I could be forgiven. This right here is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was crucified in my place. The very next chapter, after Jesus is sentenced, after he's betrayed, John 19, verse 16 says, so he, that's Pilate, the text is gonna be on the screen, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in America is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And then verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Crucifixion was the preferred Roman method of execution. Crucifixion was like the Roman electric chair or poison pill. It was a way to kill criminals. 
And it was a particularly painful and public way to die. The Romans chose this method of execution where you would be nailed to a beam of wood and hung up in the air in order that you would bleed out and you would over time lose your ability to to breathe and then eventually you would be asphyxiated, you would choke to death and you would run out of oxygen and you would die and they would do it very publicly. They would do it up on hills so that people would know that opposing Rome and breaking the law could result in you being up on that cross. And so Jesus, who is accused of blasphemy by the Jewish leaders, is hung on this Roman cross to die. And what's so critically important that you understand tonight, if you can only understand one thing about this message, you should understand this, that what is happening when Jesus is dying on that cross is called substitution. Because as we've already established, Jesus was innocent. Even Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. When he goes to the cross and he dies, he is going there not to pay for his own sin, but to pay for the sin of someone else. That's what substitution means. Jesus in my place. And you see, Jesus was not just dying a brutal physical death on the cross, though it certainly was that. It was agonizing and it was painful. In fact, the cross and crucifixion is where we get the word excruciating. It was so painful, they named a word after, after it to describe immense pain, and yet the physical brutality and violence that Jesus was experiencing doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the suffering that he faced on the cross. Way more painful that Jesus experienced on the cross, not just a physical death, but that he was absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. The Bible says that Jesus was being forsaken so that we could be accepted. That Jesus was bearing the punishment of God so that we could receive the love of God. This is what Jesus was doing this morning. We talked about the fact that the wages of sin is death. That what we have earned for our rebellion against our creator is his just judgment. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he raises his hand and he says, I will take the judgment so they don't have to. I will receive your wrath, Father, so you can let them go free, so that you can forgive them. And this is substitution. This is what Jesus was doing for you and for me. This is how the Bible describes it. 1 Peter chapter 2, it's on the screen. He himself bore our sins in his body. Do you see that language? He bore our sins Not his own sins, he bore our sins, our guilt, our shame. He bore it in his body on the tree, that's the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he quotes this famous passage from Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the good news of the gospel. That despite the fact that we have sinned, God has given his love to us because he punished his son on the cross in our place so that we could go free. 
in the old covenant, it was an unblemished animal that died to bear the weight of sin. And now it is Jesus who John called the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb who sheds his blood to take away the sin of the world. When I was a little kid, I used to try to trade my snacks at lunch. Anybody ever, anybody ever try this? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, now we're talking. So listen, when I, was, when I was young, like when I was in elementary school, I was a little bit younger than you guys. My parents were like, they were borderline health freaks. Like, we never had any sugary cereal, like Cheerios was the most wild that we ever got. And I was like, come on, mom and dad. I mean, it was to the point that when I, did, when I would go over to my friend's house and sleep over, I would wake up at like six in the morning before their parents got up and I would crush three bowls of Fruit Loops just so I could get some sugary cereal, you know what I'm saying? My parents were like a little bit, they were, they were a little bit crazy about health. And so I never got any of the good snacks. And I know you know the good snacks that I'm talking about. I'm talking like fruit roll-ups. I'm talking gushers. You know what I'm saying, gushers. How about this one maybe is a little bit before your time. Y'all ever heard of Dunkaroos? Let's go, Dunkaroos. Okay, so listen, listen. I'm rolling up to recess, I'm rolling up to lunchtime, and all these other kids got gushers and Dunkaroos, and I got like gluten-free granola. Like I got nothing good. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I could hustle somebody and I could convince them to make a very lopsided trade where I would get something delicious, I would get something great, and they would get something maybe not as great, not so good. And and here's the reason I tell you that story. Because what God offers you in the gospel is the most lopsided trade there has ever been been. It is the most unbalanced deal that anyone has ever made. And I want you to tune in to hear what this deal means for you. What this deal is that is offered to you, the trade. In Christian history, we've called this the great exchange. It's the most lopsided deal ever. And here's what it is. Here's what you give God. You give God all of your sin. You give God all of your shame You give God all of your condemnation. You give God all of your history, the things that you are ashamed of, the things that you're embarrassed of, the things that you're afraid of, the things that keep you up at night. I don't know about you, but when I was your age, I had things in my life and in my past that I was terrified that people would find out about me. Things that I hated about myself things that I bore like a backpack of bricks. I just bore the weight of my own sin. And in this trade, you get to give all of that to God and he can take it. And what he does is he takes what you deserve for the weight of that sin and he pours it out on Jesus. And here's what he gives you in return. He gives to you his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, he restores you, and he heals you, and he adopts you into his family as his sons and his daughters. 
He takes your sin and he gives you forgiveness and he gives you love and he gives you things you could never earn and you don't deserve. This is the great exchange of the gospel that Jesus received death so I could receive forgiveness. God loves you so much that he paid the highest price to give you the greatest gift. He paid the price of his very own son to give you his grace. That's how much he loves you. And I know the world today loves to paint a picture of a God who is angry and a God who is mad and a God who is wicked and a God who is manipulating. But if you ever doubt what God is like or what his character is like or what his love is like, I would challenge you, look at the cross of Jesus Christ where the spotless son of God hung crucified and bloodied so that you didn't have to, so that you would not receive what you deserve but you would receive his love in full instead. There is one more thing that Jesus has done for you that we need to talk about that is so, so important and it's this. It's the third, Jesus in my place. He was condemned so I could be released. He was killed so I could be forgiven. And he was raised so I could be alive. This is the best part of the story, that Jesus being crucified and killed to pay for sin did not stay dead, but he conquered the grave. Look at John chapter 20. I want to read this out for you. It's on the screen. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John's nickname for himself, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running there together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead." This is the best news in all the world, the biggest spoiler alert that has ever been experienced, the most massive plot twist in all of history. Jesus' faithful followers go to the tomb to try to visit his body, and the body is not there because he was raised from the dead just like he promised. And I know if you've been around the church for any period of time, you hear a resurrection, and you hear Jesus was raised from the dead, and you're like, yeah, 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 next but I want you to just stop for a moment and think about the fact that Jesus was stone cold dead and they wrapped him up like a mummy. His life was ended. His heart stopped beating. They laid him in a tomb and he was there for three days, passed out of physical life and into death and yet he did not stay there. The fact that he was raised from the dead, now listen to this. I wonder if later on, when the disciples remembered the resurrection, I wonder if 
discovering that fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive, I wonder if it brought, it brought clarity to these words that they had heard Jesus speak long before his death. In a conversation with Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now listen. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is, this is what Jesus is offering to you here tonight. That his resurrection would secure for you the gift of eternal life with God. That you could be released from the penalty of your sin that you could be forgiven the debt that you could never pay and that you could rise from the dead with Jesus to live forever in his presence. Death is the consequence of sin and it is the great enemy of mankind. And physical death, it takes us out of this world and spiritual death separates us from God. But when Jesus walked out of the grave, he demonstrated that he has the power and the authority and the ability to defeat death on our behalf, both physical and spiritual. And he showed us that all who trust in him by faith can be made alive forever. And then I want you to just zoom in on this, what he says to Martha. He tells her, if you believe in me, you will never die. You will live forever. And then he asks her this simple question, and it's the question that I want to end by asking you tonight. He asks her this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I think the reason that that scripture, I think the reason that scripture records that is because you're supposed to answer that question as well. And I want you just for a moment to consider this question and even in your heart to respond to it. And in a minute when we pray, I'm actually gonna give you a chance to express the fact that you believe this even for the very first time. So I just wanna stop here and I want you to think about this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe all that we've been talking about this week? Do you believe all that Jesus has revealed about himself? And do you believe these things that we've talked about tonight that Jesus has done for you? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that when Jesus was condemned, it was so you could go free? Do you believe that when Jesus died, it was so you could be forgiven? And do you believe that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was giving you the gift of eternal life with God? We have an opportunity tonight to respond to this good news. God has sent Jesus from heaven to accomplish all the work that was necessary for us to be saved. And then he invites us, he calls us, he commands us to respond. The way he tells us to respond is simple, it's two things. He tells us to repent and to believe. This is the way into the kingdom of God. It is repentance and faith.
Repentance is leaving behind your sin. The word repent means to turn around, to say the way that I've been living in my rebellion against God is no longer the way that I wanna live. I wanna turn around and I wanna turn towards God and then belief, faith is putting my hope and my confidence and my trust not in myself but in Jesus and in what he has accomplished on my behalf and this is what I want to invite you to do tonight is to repent and believe to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone can offer you. So would you do this? Would you close your eyes and would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of your amazing grace. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your very own son to live and to die and to rise again so that we could be free. God, I pray that your spirit would be moving even now in this room to draw us by faith to trust in Jesus. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you need to receive this offer, and respond to Jesus for the very first time, if you don't have the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God, but you want it and you need it, would you do me a favor and just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? With your, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, would you raise your hand high so I can pray for you? Raise it up. If you wanna receive the grace and the love of God that he offers through Jesus, amen. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these young men and women who put their hands up just now to receive your grace and your love. God, there's nothing magical about being in a room and raising our hand or even talking to you like this in prayer, but God, I believe that your Holy Spirit has the power to bring life from the dead. And I pray that you would be doing that even right now in the hearts of those who raise their hands. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are in the middle of their story with all of their weakness and their need and their brokenness. And God, I pray that you would bring them healing, you would bring them your love, and ultimately, God, you would bring them salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would do it right now, that you would fill their hearts that you would open their eyes, that you would clarify their minds and you would draw their hearts to follow Jesus with their whole life. Lord, we need you and we so desperately depend on your grace. Thank you for the way that you work. We trust you together and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.